From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to OCFA's Pass Along Podcast, uh, and a happy 2018 to you. Uh, today's episode is going to be the first uh, of the year and the first of a two-parter in this uh, in this last year. We had uh, Greg Hosberg, OCFA uh, fire captain, who uh, had to medically retire from the operations side, but he took the opportunity to test and uh, get hired as a dispatcher. So now, six months into his probation up here at the Emergency Command Center ECC, uh, Greg sat down with his former engineer, now Captain Pete Condi, uh, to talk about how um, working both sides of the radio has given him new insight into this world at ECC and compared to operations. So take a listen and see what you think. I'm hoping to be that bridge between ops and ECC and, and help ops folks understand how ECC works and why certain things happen in ECC um, and then help the ECC folks understand how things work for ops. All right, so that's uh, coming up soon, but first let's talk about some news and noteworthy items. Uh, just a quick heads up, as the weather continues to stay wet, um, be sure to uh, brush up on your swift water response uh, SOPs, uh, check out your gear, even our mud and debris flow protocols and even our plans, uh, Santiago, post Santiago fire, uh, post um, Silverado fire, as well as post Canyon one and two fires. You should see mud and debris flow plans on the hive for all of those. Um, and obviously you check out your water rescue gear and even brush up on your skill set um, for that particular um, emergency. As you, uh, as I'm speaking here today, uh, this morning we sent out our 30 member uh, uh, regional task force uh, USAR team to Montecito uh, in Santa Barbara County area. And uh, they're uh, currently assessing and being um, lined out for assignments up there. And just, I've already seen some preliminary pictures and just the mud and debris flows are pretty impressive, uh, taking out homes and cars. And unfortunately, uh, this already has been a fatal incident. I think uh, as of uh, my speaking with you here uh, today, uh, they're up to five fatalities. So uh, keep the guys uh, on the uh, USAR Regional Task Force that are up there uh, helping out Montecito. Keep them in your thoughts and prayers, as well as the citizens uh, and other responders up in the Santa Barbara area um, as this kind of second wave of the, the disasters, uh, how they go, right? Wildland fire first, mud and debris flow second. So at any rate, uh, you've also uh, moving on. You've probably seen uh, emails, uh, but I wanted to remind you, we have the Significant Other uh, Survival Course or the SOS course. It's part of our whole behavioral health uh, program. Uh, as you recall, in the last couple months, uh, we were able to uh, get approved through the board uh, last year the enhanced uh, contract with Counseling Team International to really provide you a better or more specific uh, behavioral health uh, platform and provider um, that's more rescuer specific. We, we, you know, we have an EAP program, but uh, it's not necessarily rescuer specific. And uh, let's face it, uh, being in the rescue business, whether you're at the ECC, on the front end of the call, or operations, um, it's a different world that we live in. And so we have special services and folks that are there to help you. This SOS class in particular is uh, for our spouses and significant others and those that reside in our home. And, and it's coming up here at the OCFA um, Saturday, January 13th, uh, at headquarters from 9 to 1. Uh, it's a free seminar. 
And we want you to bring your significant others, your parents, your family members, um, both the ECC and operations side of the house. And we'll cover topics like just positive communication skills and then also educating our family members on the, on the various impacts that this career has on whether it's children or spouses or, or family in general. Um, and the goal is really to help them understand our world and help them to be resilient um, in uh, our operations and ECC folks navigating this, uh, the stressful jobs uh, that we have. So we're obviously aware of the added stress of the job that has on the family, uh, especially those added forces. You throw in not only the forced overtime, but also the out-of-county assignments, and, and there's significant and unique stressors. So this class is going to help provide options and, um, and provide some relief for coping mechanisms those family members. So should be a great class. Really want to encourage you to take uh, this opportunity. If for some reason you, you can't come on the 13th, you're on duty, uh, we are going to try to offer a few of these each year. Um, so keep an eye out for those as we move forward. All right, so this is going to be an exciting year. Uh, man, when we look at the the things that are on the short and final that are going to start coming to fruition that we've been planning for some years now, uh, many, uh, many of these are many years in the making. Uh, it's pretty exciting to see how they're, they're coming about. We'll have two new fire stations, Fire Station 20 uh, in Irvine. Uh, will officially not be something that you could tow away on a truck, but actually be an official fire station brick and mortar. And then obviously the rebuild of Fire Station 61 in Buena Park. Um, and then throw in Station 63, we're adding on a section to accommodate the fourth person. And, uh, and then also some stabilization at Fire Station 42 in Portola Ranch. So a lot on the support services side. So uh, Chief Anderson and Patrick Bauer and Property Management have their hands full, but a lot of great things that we've been planning for for some time. Speaking of support services, let's talk about the fleet side. Uh, we'll also be taking delivery of seven tractor-drawn aerials. That's seven. Each of those are $1.4 million. So we are trying to infuse um, really the latest and greatest in apparatus into our fleet. And uh, I couldn't be more proud of, uh, of our fleet section, of our support services section, and even in all the way through to um, those that are involved in contracting and business services and, and Debbie Casper and her staff and purchasing really gone above and beyond to get us uh, these seven tractor-drawn aerials that will be coming in this year in addition to 10 new Type 1 uh, engines as well. So uh, obviously outfitting takes a while, longer than we want, um, but it is what it is. We're, we're stuck. Uh, all the vendors are busy uh, and our in-house folks are doing a phenomenal job. Um, on that note, just a quick shout out to Craig Nowak, uh, who just got uh, the supervisor position in uh, the comm services side. So he'll be helping um, just to orchestrate the, uh, the various upfittings that will be going on for those new vehicles. Also in support services, IT will be delivering uh, new portable radios out this, this year. So we're going to the encrypted, um, the digital radios uh, that have uh, some, some enhanced uh, functionality that I've talked about. I've talking to those points before, so I won't bore you with those. Also, we have cybersecurity upgrades uh, holistically for the agency, for servers and all the various IT elements that we have in our modern fire service world. We're also going to upgrade aquifers, and then um, we're going to be upgrading the station PCs coming this year as well. So, um, and really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We have a boatload of other items, maybe a little bit more lower priority, but uh, nonetheless, a lot going on. Remember, in a couple of months, we're going to be uh, hiring a new fire chief, right? Um, so we'll have more in-depth on that at the end of this month when things start to coalesce a little better. And we'll have an interview with OCFA board chair Beth Swift uh, from the city of Buena Park, who will be able to give us a little bit more on the fire chief recruitment. All right, we're almost there, guys. Hold on. Um, I want to first congratulate the members of Fire Academy 45, uh, who just joined our ranks uh, December 22nd there, uh, the evening of their graduation. A great outpouring of support for them and a great show by the families. 
Um, there are uh, some other significant uh, personnel issues coming up as well. We have uh, promotional opportunities. That is, uh, currently, we're in the middle of the Fire Captains Assessment Center. Those who pass will go on a four-week uh, Captains Academy. That'll start February 2nd. And then uh, we're also in the middle of an Engineers Academy, uh, Engineer Academy 26. And that'll wrap up uh, February 1st, uh, just in time for that next Academy, Fire Academy, to kick off, which is Fire Academy 46. So it's a lot. It's, uh, but it just goes to show you with this large agency, uh, we're trying to stay ahead of the curve as much as we can. And uh, staff, uh, both operational and professional, are pulling out the stops to make these things happen. So thank you for those of you who are involved. Um, that's it for news and, new, and, and noteworthy items. Uh, let's get on to Captain Condi's interview with dispatcher uh, Greg Hosberg. And uh, remember, um, I said this is a two-parter, so we'll post the second half of the interview next week. Um, so be sure to check back then. But until now, I'm going to take a breath. And here's the first part of the interview. Take it away, Pete. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of OCFA podcast. Uh, today's podcast, we're joined by Greg Hosberg, fire communications dispatcher since May of last year. Prior to that, 33 years in the fire service, 18 of which with Orange County. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Pete. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Please give us a little bit of your history and your journey of what led you to your position in ECC. So I came to Orange County Fire in 1999 after about 12 years with Vista Fire Department. Uh, got hired Academy 21. Go Lady Luck, Academy 21. Uh, my brother's out there. And uh, progressed through the ranks. Promoted to captain um, in 2011. During the course of my career, had a couple of uh, cardiac event issues that wound up in some stents being placed in my coronary arteries. Uh, and the last set that was in November of 2016, the cardiologist decided that strenuous firefighting activities was no longer in my future. So going through the interactive process with uh, HR folks and OSERs and working through all that, uh, found a position that worked for me, that I was qualified for. I had done some previous dispatching in my former life on a part-time basis, so I had the the basic skill set, uh, went through a testing and evaluation process to make sure I had the skills to do the job, and the uh, organization was able to accommodate me into a position as a dispatcher. Hence the reason I can now sport a beard, because I don't have to wear a breathing apparatus anymore. Yeah, got the Grizzly Adams look going. Yeah, it, that's great, Greg. It's a, definitely a success story. We're, we're happy for you. I uh, wish you much success in ECC. Thank you. Um, speaking of which, uh, we'd like to get into some of the differences and similarities that you found working in dispatch versus the firehouse. Obviously, the, it's not the same as a firehouse, but it is a group of people working closely on a shift schedule. Um, it's not your typical office job by any means. So if you could share some of those differences and similarities, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, we'll start with the similarities. Uh, we work 24-hour shifts just like the station, and the similarities stop there. <laughs> <laughs> We are on the old twos and fours schedule. Uh, anybody that's been with the organization for longer than the last probably five years is familiar with that. So we're uh, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, then two days off or four days off, rotates that. Uh, it's a completely different uh, atmosphere and um, kind of situation than the station. Uh, there's, uh, we staff the floor for, for 24 hours. We're only on the floor for 17, or actually 15 of those uh, 24 hours. So there's a, a break period uh, and then there's also a sleep period. 
and we'll break up the, the shift uh, for sleep periods. Basically, the first group of folks goes down at 7 p.m., and then they'll get up at 1 a.m., and then the remainder will go to bed at 1 a.m. and get up at 7 a.m. So in the station, you get to go to bed whenever, 8, 9, 10, whenever the latest episode of Thrones is over or whatever binge you're on. <laughs> uh, and you, you go to bed. And if you get a call, you might be up for an hour, hour and a half if it's a medical aid, you know, a few hours if it's a structure fire or the remainder of the night if it's a structure fire or a longer incident. Uh, but for us, we're up for that entire six-hour period. There's no, I'm going to go take a nap, I'm going to go take a break or anything. It's, it's up for that whole six hours. Uh, so that's one big difference is just the whole sleep schedule process. And that's taken some uh, getting used to, uh, especially if you're working multiple days in a row. You know, the, the schedule adjusts to accommodate for that. Uh, meal times, uh, it, it's broken up throughout the day. We might be eating on the floor or we might be eating on a break time, depending upon when your break runs in. But uh, the station, it was the whole crew typically ate together, uh, especially if you did child fund or something like that. But you might run to the store and, you know, get something or run out and get something to eat for lunch, come back and everybody generally sit down together. Uh, we unfortunately don't have the luxury of being able to do that. We have to have the floor. Somebody's got to be on the floor at the consoles 24-7. We can't walk away from it and leave it. So uh, while we might, we might order the same food from somewhere, get together as a group and decide we're going to do a dinner order or a breakfast order, or if there's a protracted incident, somebody might bring in some pizza or something for us, and we might all be eating the same thing at the same time, but we're not eating together at the table and having that interaction everybody's uh, at their console. So it's, uh, while there's a lot of teamwork within the center and, and in that, there's, there's not that, that time together around the table. Uh, and even the, the mornings that, you know, we don't have coffee table time in the morning. I come into work at 7 a.m. We start our shift at 7 a.m. I'm in uniform on the floor doing it. There's no sit and joke at the coffee table, talk about what happened or the latest sports game or whatever have some time to you know hang out in PT clothes because we're going to get out and go PT and then come back. It is, it is on the floor in uniform at 7 a.m. or if you're sleeping in whenever you come out on the floor. So uh, that's a big difference. We have the ability to go off campus during our breaks, but we have to be within a certain response time. Uh, and typically, you know, you, you stay close. So there's Again, in the station, you have the ability, hey, you know, let's go run down to Starbucks and grab a cup of coffee and sit and talk about something or, you know, might be kind of quizzing the rookie on things. Uh, there's none of that. We don't, we don't have the ability to get up as a group and just leave because then there'd be nobody answering the phones talking on the radio. So that's, that's a big adjustment, too, is not having that, that freedom to move around and go and, and do things like that. So uh, those are some of the big differences that I've, I've noticed. And, you know, everybody works together and pulls together and tries to, to help each other out. But there's still a lot of, because of the nature of the North County Tacticals, the South County Tacticals, the primary dispatcher, the call takers, it's a lot of individual work going on at the consoles. And then, you know, if there's a big incident, then everybody kind of pitches in and helps out. And, uh, for example, if I'm working Santa Ana and there's a structure fire and I need Edison, I can have one of the other dispatchers call Edison for me, or they can call PD, or they can do some things while I'm still running the radio traffic for the incident. All right, very good, thanks. Um, obviously, it's a very you have a very unique 
experience because you've been on both sides yes. of the radio. So um, I know a lot of people kind of want to delve a little more into that since you've you've had that experience on both sides. What are some of the differences you've noticed on how a typical call goes, whether it's a, a medical aid, a structure fire, even a larger scale incident like a, a Canyon 1 or Canyon 2 fire? Sure. So, um, you know, medical aid's pretty pretty much typical you know what what you see in here is is really what goes on we get the call we get the information we send it out um, there are a few um, things that might occur if you need us to call back an rp or something uh, that goes on with the medical aid but pretty much what you see is is what you get uh, when you get into structure fires and the larger vegetation fires there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes on uh, behind the scenes a lot of notifications phone calls uh, radio traffic whether they're um, agencies or phone calls to other agencies, uh, vegetation fires, you know, if it's within SRA or a threat to SRA, we have to uh, launch the aircraft if we're in a medium or a high. That process takes some time and it takes somebody, typically the supervisor, to track down all of the information that needs to be given uh, to South Ops in order to place the, uh, the request for the aircraft. So, um, you know, most of the radio traffic and, and things that is going back and forth is, is just the surface of what's really going on with the incident. Um, and then, you know, from a perspective, and I, I mean, I can, can say I was guilty of this myself, you know, you're out there on a call, it, that's the only call you're on right now. And you pick up the radio and you call, and you say, Orange County Fire Engine 56 on 5 Echo. And we don't answer. And I'd sit there and think, somebody answer the radio, that's your job. You're sitting in there, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, the enlightening thing for me was now being in there, realizing that if, if somebody doesn't answer the radio, there's a reason for it. It's not that they're ignoring the radio traffic. Uh, there are times when our staffing varies throughout the day. We have the most amount of people on the floor from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. guaranteed. After that, there's a minimum of two, sometimes three people off the floor. Uh, for the early shift, the 1 a.m. to 7 a.m., there's only three dispatchers on the floor. One's working primary and Santa Ana Tacticals. The other one's got South County. The other one's got North County. So if you call and somebody doesn't answer, it's because everybody's on the phone or on another frequency or they're on a callback or they're trying to get in touch with Edison or the police department or something. So, um, you know, understand that we're not ignoring you please hail us again we'll answer if i'm busy and it's my tax somebody else will grab that's part of the the teamwork that goes on is everybody's listening and somebody in the room will grab it as soon as they can so uh, hopefully that's kind of yeah answers that question a little bit we can talk about some other yeah things i mean a little it, bit more so what what is it like in dispatch kind of walk us through during a major incident like a canyon two fire uh, well, at, at the initial stages, there's, uh, especially vegetation fire, there, there's a lot that has to be done. Um, and there's, you know, there's, the aircraft has to be ordered, um, solar or pros announcements may have to be made, we have to notify adjoining agencies, uh, and there's a lot going on in those first few minutes of the call. Um, and then once units start getting on scene and start requesting resources, then that 
you know, requires some some building and some selection and, uh, you know, building strike teams out if they need strike teams or adding units and figuring out what units need to go. And, um, the computer system is pretty good at filling out the response, but sometimes it misses things because it can only look at so many things at a time. So typically the primary dispatcher is having to look at and verify that we've got all of the resources on that that we're supposed to, and we've got the aircraft, the dozers, the water tender, all that. So there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, especially in those initial phases. So that brings up an interest, a, a, a little caveat is, um, you know, if you hear a fire go out and you hear it's, please don't call in and ask us questions about whether you're going or not. Um, be ready to go. If you're on a type three and it's a vegetation fire and you think something might be happening, you know, be ready to go. Monitor the radio. Listen, Swap your boots out. It's, uh, you know, we work together at 18s. We listen to the radio. We hear a fire going down. They're requesting resources. All right, guys, let's, you know, get our boots, boots changed out. Let's get ready. Let's get move stuff moved over to the Type 3. So if we go, we're going. So be ready for that. The bells go off, you're going. If they don't, you're not. Um, there's a lot going on, and typically those calls come in when, we have people off the floor on break, so we got to call them back in to help do things. So there's a, a lot of activity in ECC, and, and those non-urgent phone calls can be very distracting and can take time away from doing important things. So then once the, the uh, incident gets up and running, and especially if it's going to be something that we manage, uh, like the Canyon 2, for example, uh, that was moved into our expanded dispatch center. So for us on the floor, that's very good. It, it pulls the incident off of the floor. It gets its own dedicated dispatchers. There was actually a CAL FIRE dispatch team that came in uh, to assist us in managing that. So it gets moved into expanded, uh, and then all of the radio traffic gets handled over there. And we deal with, obviously, the superfluous stuff that comes in and the additional reports of things that um, you know people driving by still come into us. We run it. You know, let them know over and expand it. Hey, we got another report or what have you. So uh, it can be very, very busy. Expanded runs 24 hours. Uh, there's somebody in there to answer phones, but all the radio traffic handled off and expanded. So in the regular ECC, we're just dealing with our typical day-to-day -day, uh, radio traffic. Um, doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes if it if it doesn't go to a multi-agency, unified command, large scale. Um, for example, the, the Camp Pendleton border ones in San Clemente earlier this year, um, those didn't go to expanded, so those were kept on the floor. So one dispatcher is assigned, that's their entire radio traffic, is they take that tactical frequency, in this case Fire OC, and that's all they do is they, they deal with Fire OC, and the rest of us support them with that. Typically on a an incident like that, once the aircraft, our, our helicopters leave Fullerton and they're assigned to the incident, that tactical dispatcher now takes care of all the radio traffic with the aircraft. So our, so on a fire, the, the tactical dispatcher will have Fire OC and 5 Alpha if they're listening to 5 Alpha. And just understand the, uh, also, we shouldn't be mixing radio systems. So if the incident is being run on VHF, everything to do with that incident should be handled on VHF. If the incident is being run on the 800, everything to do with that incident should be handled on the 800. 
There shouldn't be any mixing of the two systems. You shouldn't have a division that's on a VHF tactical and a division that's on an 800 tactical. It should be one or the other. So understand when you get dispatched and you know you get fire OC, you know, all the air to ground should be on that assigned VHF air to ground frequency. All of your tactical stuff should be on your assigned tax. We have some prepackaged um, radio frequencies. Fire OC is always going to be command, and typically V Fire 22 and V TAC 11 are going to be your tax. And most of the time, you get CDF air to ground one as your air to ground. Others will vary depending upon the incident um, location and what else is going on. But understand your radio packages, be familiar with them, look at what's, we, we load that into CAD. Um, I know they were trying to work something out so that information would be readily apparent on the MDC display when you got the radio frequencies. I don't know if that ever got worked out, but I know when I was doing some stuff with the CAD IT work group, we were trying to to um, streamline that so it would be very easy. The move-ups, they're not arbitrary. Um, we're not penalizing you, we're not picking on you. There, there's a lot of thought and discussion that goes into the move-ups and who gets moved where. There's, uh, you know, we have a coverage matrix of what stations are supposed to be covered. We have a lot more flexibility now in that most of our resources are uh, at least the engines are medic engines, so we can cover a lot in terms of having a pump and a medic in the same house. Uh, but there are truck coverage issues, uh, medic coverage issues. So if if we move you up and it seems to be odd, there's a reason for it. Uh, maybe the first choice that we had is on another call, or maybe they've already been moved up somewhere, or maybe we're um, trying to leapfrog so that we don't deplete everything around the incident right away. We need to move some people. So uh, understand that there is thought that goes into the move-ups. It's not just you know pull a number out of a hat and see who we can wake up this time. Uh, you know, there's been there was some uh, the last uh, uh, ops meeting notes. There was talk about the live mum system, and you know it recommends a lot more move-ups than we do. Uh, and it recommends sometimes some move-ups that we just kind of scratch our heads and go, oh, not really sure. So that's still in process. Um, but, yeah, so for the move-ups, that's, that's the big thing. We're, we're moving you for a reason, and, and we need the help. We need the coverage. We'll try to get you back as soon as we can. Uh, if for some reason, some reason we miss it and the engine you're covering pulls back in quarters, then just give us a holler and we'll gladly move you back. You were a captain with Orange County Fire, so no, knowing again what you what you know now, anything you would have done differently. Oh, there's a there's a lot of stuff I I would do differently, and, and that's one of them. Is the, the biggest one is having that patience and understanding. Um, so there's a, a number of things and uh, you know very simple things that that help us out. Um, things like. If you call us on the radio, even though it's your division tactical frequency, just let us know what frequency you're on. Um, because especially with the most recent changes of all the divisions and the battalions, I still think that I should be hearing from Truck 49 on 5 Echo, when really they're on 5 Delta more often than not, because that's their new division and their new assignment. So it helps us, and especially the dispatchers that have been in it for a while and have gotten into that habit pattern. 
Um, so that's helpful is just you know, give us a call, let us know what, what frequency you're on. Um, in terms of uh, medical aids and especially the automatic paramedic alarms, more often than not, we get a call back from the alarm company and they want to know the disposition of the patient. Uh, if we transport ALS and we go with the patient, that's easy for us to determine because we can look at the times, we can go to the, uh, the incident history and figure out where the patient went. If you ship them BLS or if you cancel the ambulance and there's no notes in the call, we have to track that down and try to figure out what happened, which typically means calling the ambulance company, which is again taking us away from being able to do the answer the radio or answer phones for something else. So it's very helpful for us and, and this is stuff I wish I had known previously to use those call notes and just type a quick note, hey patient went BLS to Hogue or patient went to Fountain Valley or you know it was a back to feed only uh, you know lift assist, patient didn't go anywhere, it was you know false alarm, accidental activation. Uh, those types of things are, are very helpful. Okay. Um, yeah, that's good. You know, that's good to know. We could get into yeah. a lot of other things, too. So, What about when Ops makes a request for Edison or a second alarm, some, some additional resources? What goes into that from an ECC side of things? Because for us, we just key up the radio, we make the request, and that now now it's pushed off to you. What, what goes into it on your guys' side? Right, okay. A lot of that depends on the request. Uh, additional alarms, additional pieces of our equipment, additional ambulances, relatively easy for us. You want a second alarm, we just go to greater alarm on the CAD, it makes the recommendation, we, we launch it. You need another ambulance, we can drag and drop, we can call care or emergency or somebody and get uh, another ambulance rolling. So um, be mindful of the fact that if, if you request an additional medic unit or a truck company or something, we have to notify the BC. Doesn't necessarily have to respond. If you tell us you don't need officer coverage, we won't put them on the call, but we'll page them and advise them anyway. We have to do that by policy. So the BC is going to get notified anytime you augment the response. So that's a, a piece uh, in that process that goes on. Uh, notifications to like Edison, the gas company, SDG&E, water companies. Uh, it's very helpful if you as the, the captain or the person calling know who that is, you know, know your first due, know who the electric company is, know who the water company is, look at a manhole cover, look at a valve cover. We don't have a layer within anything that we have that shows us what water districts cover what areas. Um, we have a, there's, I, I have and some of the other dispatchers have a water district map, but it doesn't line out streets or anything. It's just a, a block of colors it shows, okay, this is El Toro, this is Golden West, this is, you know, Yorba Linda. So we don't know all of the, the water companies, so that's very helpful. Um, Edison, sdg &E, knowing where that is. sdg &E runs all the way up into Luna, Laguna Niguel. So know if you're Edison, know if you're sdg &E. Gas company is easy, there's only one in the county. Uh, but understand with those requests, we'll pass the information on. With uh, Edison and sdg &E, it's very helpful if you have a poll number or an equipment number that we can pass on to them because that pinpoints the location much better for them than an address. Uh, and then realize that we pass the information on to them, we ask them to give us an ETA. The gas company always has an ETA for us, typically 30 or 45 minutes or less, and that's all they'll give us. Edison, we ask them to call us back with an ETA. A lot of times they don't. Um, sometimes they will, but I've 
would say 75 to 80% of the time I've never gotten a call back with an ETA, even though I've requested it. Um, so we'll do our best to try to call them or if we notice it's been a while to get an ETA. But also realize that their ETA is their ETA. They don't have a Code 3 capability. So we give them as much information as possible and relay to them your situation and they understand that fire units are on scene. But, but there's no expedite for Edison or the gas company. It's, they can't go code three. We can't make them drive any faster. It's just what we get for an ETA is what we get for an ETA. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, thanks. The important thing is to get to the call and get the problem handled for whoever's out there and whoever called us. We're all working towards the same goal. Um, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of back and forth, but understand that everybody... We're all just trying to do the right thing and get things handled and get the people to the call. We're not trying to pick on you or not trying to hide information. Uh, so we should all be working together and, um, you know, dispatchers are people too. <laughs> no, all kidding aside, it's been a very interesting, very educational experience going over to ECC after having been in ops for 18 years here and over 30 years elsewhere. Uh, even though I had a, a rudimentary understanding of it from my part-time experience down south and from doing some light duty uh, work here in ECC when I was off on light duty a couple times, uh, it is doing the job day in, day out, 24 hours a day, you know, 14, 16 days a month with forces sometimes. Uh, it's different than I imagined. It's good. It's good. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, and I know a lot of people have expressed this, and, and, I'm, and I'm doing my best and, and hoping, and as things progress and I get a little more um, time under my belt and a little better understanding of how things work, I'm still, yeah, I'm still new to this position. So I'm still learning a lot about ECC and how it operates, but um, you know, to, I'm hoping to be that bridge between ops and ECC and, and help ops folks understand how ECC works and why certain things happen in ECC um, and then help the ECC folks understand how things work for ops. Why, why are they asking this? Why are they doing this? Why is, um, sometimes I scratch my head too and go, not really sure. <laughs> Uh, but more often than not, I can explain and say, well, there's, you know, there are reasons for that, or this is what's going on, or this is what they're, they're thinking, this is what they're looking at. Um, you know, so I, I'm hoping very much to um, be that bridge between the two, uh, maybe increase the understanding of, of both sides, between both sides, as time goes on. Thanks, Craig. Sure. All right, that feels like a good place to stop. So we'll, we'll pick that up next week. And the second part, you'll hear uh, Pete's interview with Greg Hosberg. And uh, also at the end of the month, we'll feature an interview with uh, current um, OCFA board chair, chair Beth Swift, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, really until then, let's just continue to keep each other uh, just in the highest regard. Uh, let's, I'm really looking forward to a great 2018. And uh, let's just continue to watch out for each other. Stay dry out there specifically today, and we'll talk to you soon.